<laughs> Trying to get away from the does it all part. Am I on? Oh, good. Thank you, Mark. As always, it is a pleasure to hear your voice. By the way, I'd like to send a very special, special, special message to all of our folks in the breakfast concourse out there. In fact, why don't we all say hi, everybody? Hi. <laughs> there, there's about ten of them out there eating breakfast, watching church. They had a being in church. <laughs> We're just ten feet away. Hint, hint. So, no, okay. How are y'all doing this morning? Are you doing good? How many of you are tired? Oh, man, I'm feeling like, you know what? If you were to say, Tom, let's do 20 minutes of just sleep and meditation, I would think that's revival. How many of you are at that point? <laughs> I know. It's uh, bad air. Days can be wearying. And I know that, you know, sometimes it can be a struggle to, to get the juices going. But this morning, uh, we're going to start a new series about resolving conflict, and uh, really the foundation of all disunity is unresolved conflicts, and so we're going to begin to talk about that this morning, and if you will have a Bible with you, please open it up to Genesis chapter 3, the chapter that has a thousand sermons in it, according to Chuck Spurgeon, but uh, Genesis chapter 3, Heavenly Father, as we open up the Word of God now, I pray you'd open up our hearts. Lord Jesus, these are sacred, ancient words. And God, let them not uh, just pass by us. But Lord, help us to feed on them like we uh, would our breakfasts, lunch, or dinner. To know that we do not live on food alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a man who was stranded on an island. You know, you get like a thousand stories that begin that way. But this guy was stranded on an island. And uh, he knew he'd be found because, you know, with all the modern technology and stuff, uh, he knew he wouldn't be there too long. So he was stranded on an island. And sure enough, after a few months, they found him. You know, and when they walked up, he had built kind of a small city on the beach there while they were, while they were waiting to find him. And uh, so they say, hey, what's that building? He goes, oh, that's my house. He goes, what's that building? He goes, oh, that's the clinic. Oh, yeah. oh what's that building? Oh, that's the grocery store. He had all these, you know, native fruits and stuff like that. He goes, oh, look at that building. What's that building over there? And he said, oh, that's where I go to church. And I go, well, what's the building over there on the other side? He goes, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> in 1999 in Maryland, a newspaper uh, mockingly reported that there was a church where there was a division, huge division happening. And it all began over an argument when two ladies brought a, I hope I say this right, congealed salad. Am I saying that right? Congealed salad. And one lady put Cool Whip in her salad. And the other lady put real brand, the brand real whipping cream in their salad. Churches have been divided over whether the pianist should be on the left side or on the right side, or whether a kitchen should be a part of a church building or not. In fact, once a few years ago, there was a lady who uh, had come to our youth group for a couple of times. Now I didn't see her for like six or eight months, you know, and, I, and finally she came back and she said, you know, I know I, 
I wanted to be a part of this church. I wanted to be a part of everything. But man, everybody was talking about me. Everybody was dissing about me. Everybody was saying things behind my back. And finally, I had to look at her and said, sweetheart, nobody even knows you. How can they be talking about you? <laughs> There's another church, a Foursquare church. <laughs> I hate to say it, but there was a Foursquare church in Seattle, South Seattle. And they, one time they had a huge dispute that, over who was going to be the pastor. And so one Sunday, both pastors show up to do the service. The two groups thought that they had their guy. And so both of the pastors stood up to lead the service one Sunday. Both of the pastors stood up to lead the songs, each one trying to outsing each other. Then both pastors stood up trying to preach the message, trying to outpreach each other. And finally, it ended up in a fist fight in the back of the church, and the cops had to come and bring it up. It's a true story. Disunity is often about a failure to resolve conflict. There's a, a, a when I was new here, you know, there, there was a guy who came up to me. He said, hey, I got to go talk to you in your office. He grabs me, walks me over, and he talks to my office. And he says, now, it's in the Bible that wives have to submit to their husbands, right? And, and for some reason, that's like the one verse all men memorize, right? It's, uh, you know, they may not know John 3.16 from Adam, but they know Ephesians, wives submit to their husbands. And as soon as he said it, I just looked at him and I said, what's the problem? What's the problem? What's going on? You know, you don't, you don't start a conversation with that without you basically being in a fight with your wife over something. Let's talk about it. Let's get it all worked out. My point this morning is very simple, though. Resolving conflicts with people begins by resolving our conflicts with God. That's our beginning point. Might wanna, we might want to think there's a lot of other different ways. And often when we're angry, the last thing we want to do is begin to nurture our relationship with God. We want to go give that person a piece of our mind. The fact is, the first step for biblical conflict resolution is to resolve our conflicts with God. Let's start with Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent who was the devil, was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, shall you not eat from any tree of the garden? The devil is already distorting some truth there. <coughs> and the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it. Or you will die. And the serpent says to the woman, You will not surely die. It's the first thing Satan goes after. Doesn't necessarily go after God's character. Doesn't go after God's power. Doesn't have to go after God's goodness. Doesn't go. He goes after God's word. You won't die. He's holding out on you. <coughs> he says, For God knows. <coughs> That in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Eve, you got caught up in this hype. But the truth is, God is, is, is preventing you from all you can be. Come on, Eve, be all you can be. 
Verse 6, well, well, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that it was desirable to make one wise. Eve wanted, Eve wanted some wisdom. She wanted some knowledge. She took from its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And God said, hey, where are you? So Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I'm naked, and so I hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to? And the man said, well, the woman that you gave me, we didn't have any of this mess when it was just me and the animals. But when the woman that you gave me, she ate, and then she handed it to me. And God, have you ever tried to say no to a woman? <laughs> then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Resolving our conflicts with each other begins with resolving this basic conflict with God. And my first point is this. God is not withholding from us. At some point, Eve began to doubt that perhaps God didn't give her all she wanted. Perhaps God didn't give her all that she needed. Maybe this talking snake is right. And in that moment, what changed in Eve is a fundamental difference between who we are as human beings now and who we were as human beings then. She began to look and say, I want to call the shots. I want my will to be done. I'm going to make the decisions. And she eats. Of course, Adam does the same thing. And really for us on this side of the story, there's many of us who would look and say, well, Tom, what's so wrong with that? I'm a smart guy. I can't, are you saying that we shouldn't make decisions in our life or that? That we're not capable, that, that our will isn't important or that all, all those things? To a degree, yeah. There is, there's a little bit of that point that I think Genesis is making. But the further point is this. When the motive is because we think God has withheld something from us, that's when we get into danger. Because all of a sudden, we're going to compete to get our development our own way rather than God's way. But the second thing I want to bring your attention is to recognize our primal reactions to these conflicts. The, the serpent tricked Eve into eating the fruit. She offered the fruit to Adam, who ate by choice, knowing full well that what he was doing was wrong. And for the very first time, shame penetrates the human heart. The innocence of Eden was gone, and the shame leads to conflict with God. That first primal reaction is shame. 
Bible says they were naked. Now, please, let me help you here. It does not mean that for the first time they saw that each other had private parts. They knew that. They were married. Adam says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. There's no reason to assume they were not a normal married couple. Okay, well then what does naked mean? Nakedness in the Bible often refers to the exposure and shame of hidden things and hidden motives. So they had seen each other's nakedness in that they had broken from that perfected state. And they began to feel shame about what they'd done. And when they felt that shame, the first thing they thought to do was to, what? Cover themselves, right? Cover themselves. The problem, ironically, was not that they wanted to cover themselves. It's what they chose to cover themselves with. I don't have time to go into it. Uh, It would be a whole Bible study to make the connection. But essentially, the fig leaves that Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with is directly parallel to Cain's offering of the leaves of his produce. We can't be covered by leaves and fruit and vegetables. There's only one proper covering. That's skin. Life for life. That's why Abel's offering of the livestock was accepted and Cain's wasn't because Cain was sowing fig leaves all over again to try to cover that shame. That's what Adam and Eve's initial reaction was. But that's another sermon. Let's stick to this one. It's interesting because, you know, working with teenagers, even at a young age, adults don't do this as much, but teenagers will. Shame is a fresh thing for them often right after puberty. And you always get that kind of sense of, Tom, you don't know what I've done. Tom, you don't know who I am. Tom, you don't know what I think. Tom, if you really knew... Tom, da, da, da. And here's what I look at him. I say, you know what? I do really know. I do really know. I'll take my hand out and I'll say, welcome to the human race. You looked at someone and you lusted after him, didn't you? You wanted to go find a corner and you wanted to, didn't you? You, you looked at something, you looked at some car and you're thinking, man, I love to steal that car. You looked at someone who was, who was you know, saying something about you, and you wanted to take your fist, you wanted to rearrange their face, didn't you? you, I, you they're, like, they're looking at me like, whoa. They're backing up like, how do you know all these things? I know because that's human. I know because this is what we inherited. I know because this is what happens. It takes your form. It takes my form. It takes our shape. It takes all that shape. We all have our different fingerprints and footprints of the soul. But at the end of the day, The only difference between me and you is the state of decay. And so in the beginning here, we have this covering of shame. But the next thing we have is the hiding in fear. Why were they afraid? They were afraid to get exposed. We lie, we cover up, we run away. It's a lot like Peter. Remember Peter? Jesus is on trial for his life. And, And they say, hey, you were with him. Wait, come here. This dude was one of his friends. Peter says, no, I don't know him. He denies Christ. No, he's one of, no, I don't know him. I tell you, I never met the man, and he calls curses upon himself. That's a key parallel, that word curse, to Genesis 3. And then what does Peter do? He goes off and he hides. He hides for fear of being exposed. 
But the third one is perhaps the one that's most common. Blaming others. Adam is stripped naked of all of his excuses. What will he do? Well, Adam does what any self-respecting man does. He passes the buck. His classic, his answer is a classic form of evasion. He says, the woman that you put me here, she gave me some fruit and ate, and ate, and I ate it. I want you to hear this. Did you get that? Is Adam really blaming Eve? Not really, is he? She's kind of maybe the effect. Who, who's, who's Adam saying is the cause? God, this is your fault. The mess of this world, it's your fault. You did this. You ever get angry? And all of a sudden you start blaming God. God, you gave me this wife, it's your fault. God, you gave me this deadbeat guy, it's your fault. God, you gave me these unruly kids, it's your fault. God, you, you gave me uh, some sort of impediment, I, I, it's your fault. God, I'm sick, it's your fault. God, I'm not healed, it's your fault. God, these people don't like me, it's your fault. I never asked to live in here. I never asked to be at this job. It's amazing how assigning blame everywhere else and not taking responsibility is almost indicative of our spiritual nature. And I'm saying, God, it's your fault. You put her here. I was doing just fine with all the animals. And then she had to come. That's what he's saying in that moment. Now, you know, a day earlier, he's going, oh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, thou art woman, you know? He's singing her praises the day before, and he's blaming her for everything the day after. But his problem is really with the Lord. Adam is struggling with God, and he's mad at Eve. But in order for us to heal with people, we first have to work that out with God. Because there is no forgiveness without repentance. In fact, I, we see this a lot in pastoral counseling. You know, there, there's a, a, a couple came in and their kids were struggling. One kid in particular. I'm talking with them and the husband kind of gives his version. And, and typically husbands downplay everything, you know. I think we just need to do it with this, we need to do that. You know, he's going to be fine, Pastor. I'm not even sure why we're here. We really need to go out on this road. Thank you very much. And I go to the wife, and all of a sudden, it's just, you know, oh, he just never listens. I'm afraid he's got this and that. I don't know. Maybe. And, and, then, he looks, and then she looks at her husband and says, and if you would just do more around the house. And she just starts going on and on and on. And all of a sudden, it went from talking about the kids to, hey, if you would just pitch in a little around here, I'm sick of doing all the work and trying to raise the kids while you sit around. All of a sudden, it was just like one of those things where I was like, ooh, it's my wife's fault. It's my husband's fault. It's my children's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my teacher's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my neighbor's fault. It's the guy across the street's fault. It's the person who used to work for me. It's their fault. It's the waiter who was, waiter who was rude when they took my check. It's his fault. Yeah, that's the ticket. And so now the human race gets divided. The church gets divided. The world gets divided. The nations are divided. And we all have our groups to which we belong. 
We got Republicans and Democrats. We got liberals and conservatives. We got rich and poor. We've got men and women. Let's just get it out there. We've got old and we've got young. We've got married. We've got single. We've got India. We've got Pakistan. We've got Palestinians. We've got Israelis. We've got Muslims. We've got Christians. Catholics, we've got Protestants. And who started it? Come on, let's answer with one accord. Whose fault is it? It's theirs. Right? None of you said mine. <laughs> they did it. It's their fault. Come on, let's say it again. Let's say they did it. One, two, three. They did it. Louder. They did it. Louder. They did it. I did it. Alex did it. And Alex will do it again. <laughs> That's what blame does. That's what Adam is, is modeling for us. God, it wasn't me. And of course, God never says it, but he really could have. He said, you know, Adam, it took the devil himself to get Eve to bite. She just handed you and you went for it. I mean, she was at least tempted. You just freely chose. The fourth thing in that primal instinct is concealing guilt. When we blow it, when we do something wrong, make a mistake, commit a sin, whatever, in front of you, you've got two paths. You can conceal it or confess it. Most of us will start out concealing it. It's very natural. Like Adam, we put on our fig leaves and we head for the trees. But after 15 years of full-time ministry, you'll have to trust me when I say this. You enter your own private hell when you do it. You enter your own private torture. We do not prosper. In fact, Psalm 32 says that our bones waste away and our strength is sapped. We begin to suffer physically and mentally because we're concealing a wrong and it's just grinding at us and nothing works right. Our other choice is to confess it. And people have often asked me, Tom, what really is confession? I mean, I, I know all these great Christian ways to say, but just give me American English. What is confession? Because I'd like to do it because I agree with you. I don't want this anymore. Let me confess it. I'll give it to you very easy. You say something like this. Yes, I did it and I know it was wrong. There you did. You just confess. I did it. Adam, uh, God, I ate the apple. I know it was wrong. I ate the apple and I'm sorry. None of this, it's your fault. None of this, it's her fault. None of this, you know, everything was fine before. Blah, blah, blah. God, I did it. And I know it's wrong. Will you forgive me? That's resolving our conflict with God. Even if the conflict started and you were innocent at first, I've had people get in a fight with me and then all of a sudden I find myself gossiping about them in a horrible way. And God says, you know what? What they may have done was wrong, but gossip? Come on, really? That's how you want to win this fight? 
Wrong with wrong with wrong with wrong with wrong. That's how wars start, Tom. Come on. Yes, God, I did it. It was wrong. I want to clear things up so that I can properly work out this conflict with others. Often, the outcome of our conflicts with God is conflicts with people. I didn't have time to go into it, but verses 14 through 19 in Genesis, they kind of tell the outcome of this. And they really tell it between Adam and Eve because they're the only people on earth at the time. And God says something like this to Eve. He says, Eve, you'll have great pains in childbirth, but really something worse than that's going to happen. Your desire will be for your husband. Any, any ladies ever read that sentence and wondered what that meant? It doesn't mean that you'll just want a man. Your desire, if you really look at the Hebrew idiom, you'll want to control him. You'll want to usurp him. He's going to try to dominate you and you're going to want to control him. What does he say to the husband? He says, and you're going to want to dominate. What has now happened in human relationships? It is what? One big competition for control. It's exactly what God is saying. Now, and he, you know, obviously it's starting with Adam and Eve, but did it go to Cain and Abel? Mm-hmm. And do you see it kind of work itself out through the rest of the biblical story? Mm-hmm. That's what eating from the tree of good and evil got us, a big control fight. And the harmony of Eden was replaced by an ugly competition. Point number three, everything that happened in Genesis chapter three was crushed by Jesus. I didn't read the verse, but in Genesis three fifteen, God says to the devil, Eve's going to have children. She hasn't yet, but she's going to have children. And one of Eve's children, Jesus, is going to rise up and you're going to bite his heel, but he's going to crush your head. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Everything that may have been discouraging about Genesis chapter 3, that's now wiped away. It's beaten. It's over. It's done. So when the husband comes to me and says, you know, Tom, it says that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. I can look at him and say, and yeah, it's supposed to say husbands are supposed to love their lives, wives as Christ loved the church. Genesis 3 is over. There is no more control. There is no more domination. The fig leaf is burned. There's no need for animal skins. It's all done and over with. Shame is over. Blame is over. Hiding is over. Guilt is over. It's all done. That's the beauty of it all. When we go and resolve our conflict with God, you are now ready to resolve your conflicts with people. When we come before him and say, wow, my shame has been forgiven. Wow, my my sin has been covered. Wow, I I don't have to hide. I don't have to feel guilty. Look at this great thing I have. You know what? We're going to see whoever's fighting with us, especially if it's your spouse, differently. If you're married... You have two choices. You can live in Genesis 3 if you want. Wives trying to rebel. Husbands trying to be tyrants. You can have that. That is what we've been handed. 
or you can have what Jesus gives you. That's all over. There is no desire for husband and there is no domination by the husband. There's just wives following their man and there's men loving their wives the way Christ loved us. Dying to ourselves. Leading into freedom. And then number four, when conflict arises, go to God, a pastor, a trusted friend who is sensitive to God's spirit. But clear up anything you may have with God, you'll see the moment differently. I call these plank moments. I want to finish with this. I, I've preached a sermon once in my old church called Plank Moments. And I, I'll just make the point here to close. Jesus said in, uh, I'll read it for you, in, I believe it was Luke chapter 6. Uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take this speck out of your eye when you have a plank blocking your own? First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will what? See clearly. We all have planks. Maybe to some degree, some are bigger than others. But so often we want to judge a situation, take the speck out of someone's eye, but we don't have the clear sight to do it. The other day I was watching a movie, great movie, it was called Cinderella Man. I'd never seen it. But it was a boxing movie. And it's about a boxer, I can't remember his name, Joe Braddock or something like that. And uh, he had broken his hand, he was in his 30s. I kind of identified with the story, you know, he's kind of past his prime. And, but he, he gets this fight and, and in a, you know, odd stroke of how it happened, he wins this fight and all of a sudden becomes a top contender. The wife is convinced that Joe's manager is using him to make money and that the manager is corrupt. And so she gets in a fight with her husband over this, but the husband says, I don't think the guy, I don't think that's the way it's happening. Behind her husband's back, she goes to the apartment of this manager and she's rehearsing at the door what she's going to say. And you can kind of see her doing it on the breath. And she's, you know, she's stepping and she's getting, and she, he opens the door and she walks right in. She's like, da, 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 da. And she begins to stop. And she realizes the apartment has no furniture. There's a little table in the middle. And the man looks at her and says, you want money? I think I got five bucks in my wallet. You can have it. We've got nothing left. And the look on her face, it was a plank moment. We think, we see. Eve thought, Eve thought, oh my goodness, God has been holding out on me. But Eve didn't realize she had planks. She's thinking God has a speck, but she's got planks, so she takes that fruit and then she's sitting down thinking, why did I ever eat that fruit? We all have plank moments. Moments when we're sure our enemy is so wrong and we are so right. There was a, one time when uh, I was new 
to the Foursquare Church, and they had asked me to lead the music at camp. So I was leading the music, but uh, um, I didn't get picked. A new director came. The old director was there, the one who asked me to come. New director came. He didn't pick me. And I, I was hurt. I was kind of humiliated because I'd been leading a team ready to go, and new director comes, and he brings his own worship leader. And I remember I just started to talk bad about him. I remember I started to say, you know what, I don't think I'm going to bring my church to camp this year. I don't know. This new leader, I mean, I don't even know what he believes. This guy's kind of weird. You know, he's got earrings. And I, I don't, you know, I, I could care less about earrings. You know, but I'm, I'm finding ways to take down this guy. I'm convinced he just overlooked me. I didn't know why. And then about four months later, I get a call. He says, hey, can I take you to lunch? He has no clue what I've said about him. I'm like, sure. And we go to lunch. He's like, hey, I was wondering if you would, if you would join my senior staff with me. I've heard you're a great leader, and I'd really, I, I need some great leaders in this district to help me run the camp. Would you be on my directorial staff? Plank moment. Plank moment. Eve had a plank moment. Adam had a plank moment. Cain could have had a plank moment. It's funny. What the devil worked so hard to get Eve to do in Genesis 3, God could not stop Cain from doing in Genesis 4. But there are plank moments. I have them. You have them. I think that's why Jesus says, before you go after the speck, Deal with the plank. The only way you can deal with the plank is resolve our conflicts first with God. Amen? Amen. Worship team, come on forward. <laughs> Heavenly Father, this morning as we close, I pray that we would take a fresh look at our own ways in which we cover shame or hide in guilt, blame others, or hide in fear. God, that we would Rejoice that that ship has sailed. Those days are over. We don't have to live in that one more minute. We don't have to accept that one more second. God, that what Adam and Eve did in Genesis 3, Jesus repairs in the Gospels. Jesus restores in the Gospels. We don't have to try to control each other. We don't have to usurp each other. We don't have to rebel against each other. We don't have to be tyrants. We don't have to one-up each other. But through the unity of the Holy Spirit, recognize we may all have planks. We may all have weaknesses. But that God, what God has done for me, he has done for you and 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 for everybody. That's what unites us. That's what builds the kingdom of God. And church this morning, I feel like the Lord is saying, will you build my kingdom with me? Will you build my kingdom with me? And it's kind of hard to build that kingdom if you're not a part of it. So I'd like to make a very simple invitation. If you want to become a part of the kingdom of God, be a true follower of Jesus Christ. You're not, no, we're not born into it. Somebody can't give it to us. At some point, as we pass puberty and become an adult, we have to make that choice. 
choose to accept or reject Jesus' offer of forgiveness. So this morning, I want to give you a fresh offer here in church to accept Jesus' offer of forgiveness and become one of his followers. If that's you, you can just pray this prayer after me to say, Lord Jesus, I accept your forgiveness and I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand together and close church
shout of praise this morning. Thank you, Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May God be gracious to you and grant you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day. Have a blessed day. And we'll see you all next Sunday, same time, same place. Test. One. Yeah.